Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome listeners to your Wednesday night episode. And today I bring you the continuation of Tuku the Crocodile. Written by Fee Stringer, a listener just like you. And of course, a big thank you, Fee, for sending this story through to me. I'm having a lot of fun focusing on the action scenes, as all of you lovelies know how much I love me a good action scene. And also in this story, I decided to add a little Easter egg. It's tucked away as an audio bite, and here's a clue. You'll hear it when his kindred dies. Let's see if you can spot it. Mates, this episode is not for little ears. It deals with gore, guts, and gross stuff. The stuff we like, but the kiddies shouldn't be hearing just yet. Now, strap yourself in and join me for an original tale from a listener just like you. Enjoy. I was out of breath and sweaty. I know that I'm a crocodile and not supposed to get sweaty, but Emilio didn't know that. As I rode around on the roof of an ambulance for a while that evening, I tried to consider my situation carefully. I realized I knew almost nothing about who or what I was. I also realized that I knew even less about why this was happening. I wonder if this thing was some kind of imaginary friend Grim Reaper, and maybe all people's companions of the mind went through something like this. That thought was interesting but did not explain much in the way of these past memories that had been surfacing and why I was becoming more and more noticeable by others. I really knew little about the way things worked, and the rules of the universe beyond what Emilio had been studying in school, and what I read over his shoulder. From what I did read, my being here broke all the laws of nature that had been printed and taught thus far anyway, so I became resigned to believe that I was something that no one had written about. I hopped off the top of the ambulance and walked for a bit down the streets at night. There were very few pedestrians right now even for a college town. I made my way to a park and sat down next to a gentleman who had curled up under a thick coat and was trying to sleep. My heart had stopped thundering in my chest, and I managed to let some of my muscles relax. It was cold out, but not the middle of winter. I don't think Emilio made me very temperature sensitive anyway, but my sympathy for the man next to me made me feel a bit sad. I stared at the distant streetlights and thought, This creature will find me again, and soon. I'm not sure how I knew this, but I could tell it was true. It was so familiar to me, but not familiar enough to provide me with an answer as to what to do. It was like remembering a time when you remembered something else. You could remember that you remembered something, but you could not remember what it was you were remembering. This thought made my head hurt, and the man next to me was snoring. Something else I knew was that this creature and I were not only connected, but also like family in some way. It kept saying, time to come home, after all. So maybe it and I were relatives or siblings. The thought that we were the same made me angry and sad. It tore fears and nightmares out of children's heads, and I was Emilio's best friend, 
calling us kindred hardly seemed fair. And whoever Courtney was, I had been her friend at some point too. And then there was Francis. He had been a delight. I had looked like a lovable clown to him before clowns became terrifying to most of the population. I had several small magic tricks and knew how to make balloon animals for him. Francis. I stopped mid-thought. Francis? Who the heck was Francis? Maybe he, like Courtney, was some other memory now resurfacing due to Emilio's being gone. It made me wonder how old I might actually be. The man on the bench stirred for a moment. He was still half asleep when he looked up and saw me. He became instantly awake with a yelp, jumping off the bench and falling to the ground, and turned to look up at me again and no longer see me. It appeared that now, being fully awake, his senses could no longer detect whatever dream substance made up my body. His head darted around confused and he dusted himself off. He apparently became resigned to the fact that I must have been a bad dream and staggered off into the night. I was alone again. This did not last long, however, as my scales started to tingle with alertness. I could tell that my pursuer was beginning to get close to me again. This meant that the possibility of my being able to hide out until it gave up was now out. He must be able to find me naturally due to whatever the connection was that we had. I began to get ready to move again. Chapter 4 The cliché held true for me as it had for so many others throughout history. I could run, but I could not hide. I stood up and tried to determine the direction that it was coming from. The sky was beginning to become light, and the frost turning to dew was glistening in the gentle light. Oh, it would have been beautiful if circumstances weren't so terrible. Some of the people working the early hours were starting to populate the streets. I looked down a street to the north and a truck was collecting baked goods for delivery. To the west it was so quiet and shadows stretched over the pavement. To the east things were different. I saw it, the shimmer showing that its nearly invisible form was appearing, approaching. I started to back away, and, of all things, I wondered why it had shed the dangerous and quick form that it had when chasing me in the previous night. Why would it have gone back to its bodiless and apparently unable to touch me figure from before? I made a guess that perhaps, when it had taken a nightmare as its embodiment, it might not be able to track me. Perhaps if it could not see me, it had to revert to what it was, to sense me at all. It paused for a moment and appeared to be searching. The only people around it were adults going about adult business. The other times it had taken a shape, it had gathered it from the mind of a child. I might have a moment of luck after all, as there was nothing for it to use at the moment. My relief proved to be only temporary, as a familiar hissing sound from the south filled the air. I couldn't help but roll my eyes as my head turned towards the cheese-coloured vehicle of young minds meandering up the street. The transparent menace moved quickly towards the school bus, and I again started my four-legged slithering run. I could tell it found what it needed by the cacophony of children's screams as it probed around for the right thing to hunt me as. 
I knew this time it would have a lot more of a menu than the hospital as there were more likely more kids concentrated there than before. I moved down the street again, so tired from the previous night. I had no idea how I would get away from it this time. Something told me that I could not fight this thing. Something told me I had tried in the past and failed, probably barely getting away. It is ironic that a gigantic, phantasmagoric reptile like myself would be this afraid for himself. And yet here I am. I began to run and slither away from the bus, trying very hard to find yet another way to buy myself some time. I glanced back again to see what was chasing me, and I was surprised to see that nothing was pursuing me, or so I thought. I continued to run and twist my way through alleys, down streets, and up staircases. I glanced back again and realized that I had been wrong, of course. Unlike the past forms my hunter had chosen, this was more abstract. It was something man-shaped, but only in very loose terms. It had a head, two arms, and two legs. It was too far away at the moment to make out too many details, but I could see strange colors and sharp angles. It was not moving towards me at this moment, which I also found odd, but I could see shapes moving within its form, but its body as a whole stood still. I made it to the end of a block and hurried across the street, frightening pigeons, making them all take flight, confusing the people around them. I turned again and it was much closer. I was surprised when it simply vanished out of thin air. Less than a second later, it reappeared, this time about only a block from where I stood. I could not help the feeling that it was cheating, somehow using an ability it found to disappear and reappear at will. It screamed in some unearthly voice that would have turned people's hair white if they could hear it. A small whirlwind of dead leaves encircled where it stood as the alien howl echoed off the nearby structures. Some people did see the leaves but dismissed it as the wind doing what it does. I could now see it clearly. It was hard to imagine the poor child's mind that the thing had used to create itself. The creature leered about eight feet tall, and its body was not made of any substance from reality. The kid who dreamed this thing up had made its body look like a statue constructed out of constantly shifting, broken stained glass, dark purples, midnight blues, and blood reds dominated most of the spectrum of colors. It would have been beautiful if it were not so terrifying. I looked at it, my eyes wide, paralyzed in my own wonder for a moment. It snapped me out of this as it howled again. This time it was the word home that screeched out of its jagged, elongated jaws. It was accompanied by a mass of squirming things that vomited from its maw. The mass of maggots, worms, and other dream vermin that there is no name for slid down its body in juxtaposition to the sharp crystalline angles. It disappeared again, and I wasted no time running into the nearest structure. I could see as I turned that it had popped back into existence, this time about a foot away from where I stood. The building I was in was a parking garage with about four floors to accommodate the students and staff of the campus. I am not sure how much difference it would have made, but I neglected the stairs and began an exhausting run up the ramps that the cars used. It reappeared again where I had been seconds ago. 
The cars that had alarms in the vicinity all began to chirp and squeal at its presence. It was almost as if the technology itself in the vehicles knew to be afraid of this thing. Despite the noises surrounding us, I still heard the word HOME come from it a second time. I would have been proud of my athleticism in reaching the roof of the parking garage at such a high speed had I not been feeling so much fear. But this was it. I had nowhere to go now. I looked around frantically to see if there were any means of escape from this area of parking spaces at the top. There was not. I backed up on my two hind legs, my back pressed against the edge of the building, seeing the drop of several stories to the alley below. When I turned again, it stood there before me, the black ichor, leaking from its mouth like orifice. It began to reach its arms towards me, the shards forming a hand with razor-sharp fingers. I thought of one of Emilio's video game screens from when he was 12, and the foreboding message it had given that fits so well now. No more continues. Chapter 5 it reminded me of watching Emilio get his booster shot as a child, the way the needle hesitated for a moment above his shoulder before plunging into his flesh. He had wanted to close his eyes but watch the entire event with horror. His hand squeezed mine in an attempt for my reassurance. He did not cry out so I can only gather that it may have helped. I had been hurt before, but it was hurt within the boundaries of Emilio's understanding. This was something that was pain on several different levels. The colourful crystalline claws sank into my green flesh. It was a kind of pain that was so intense that it almost just shut into numbness completely. Seeing it happen was more painful than the actual sensation. Despite its roughness and my fear, the position of the thing's hand grabbing my shoulder was more one of a warped kind of companionship, like when a friend sees another and places his hand on their shoulder. It had been saying home and time to go after all. Although the thing clearly had no desire to be gentle with me, I am almost certain its main objective was not to hurt me, but to retrieve me. I saw the familiar shimmering that the creature had in its body, but very subtly showing itself in my wound. My eyes closed and a flood of thought and memory overtook me like a skier being consumed by a pursuing avalanche. I started to see what I had been. I also saw that this was not the first time I had been hunted by my relation that currently had its claws touching my bones. Before I was the crocodile that I am now, I was the pink unicorn and clown that I had previously had flashes of being. I was the clown, but also I was a superhero with a red and yellow cape that could fly and shoot chocolate. I was a large doll that lived with a girl named Priscilla and her other dolls. I had been so much to so many children and even some that had grown into adults. More creatures, more beings without names back through time. In the Renaissance, I was once the muse of a painter and in the Middle Ages, I was a girl's angel. I was Athena to a child in ancient Greece. In the Middle Kingdom, I had been some deity with the body of a woman and the head of a crocodile. I chuckled in my own head about the irony there. <laughs> and between all of them, my kin had tried to retrieve me, chasing me as a myriad of monsters, devils and nightmares through the ages. It had gotten close to catching me almost every time, 
but never caught me as it did now. Being the people's imaginary companions had three apparent effects. It provided camouflage while my companion was alive, making it impossible for my kin to find me. It provided the person I was with a sense of comfort and joy. It also caused me a powerful amnesia where I would forget I was anything but their friend during their lives. I was beginning to remember more as both myself and the creature began to fade entirely together out of the light of this world. I remembered that we had indeed come from the same place. I remembered that my kin was sent to retrieve me and bring me back to this place, our home. I also remembered that where we came from was something that was indescribably terrible. My mind still fought against the memories of the details of our home, but I remember that more than anything, that I had needed to escape. Me being gone from our home had made some other of my kin very upset that I had found a way out, and they had been trying to correct this mistake for tens of thousands of years, probably longer. But this life in this world was going to become a distant memory when I returned to my home. And then due to the anguish that my home was made of, even my time here would fade into nothing. Both it and I were beginning to shimmer as our earthly forms began to shed. Chapter 6 That would have been the end of things, had something from this world not happened at the last moment to rescue me from this fate. A car roared to life behind the creature. A young woman behind the wheel hastily pulling out of her parking space. I jerked to one side, causing myself a moment of even more pain in my shoulder than I thought possible, but making my kin loosen its grip on me just enough for when the bumper of the car slammed into its back, that its claws tore out my skin. I fell to the ground panting, looking up to see the car continuously backing up into the monster as the beast toppled over the side of the structure, plummeting several stories. I heard a reassuring shattering sound from where I lay that brought my crocodile grin back to my face despite the pain. It sounded like all the glass of a glass skyscraper had landed all at once on the ground. The noise hung in the air for moments as it echoed throughout the environment. I lifted myself up and looked down at the colourful explosion of stained glass and crystal shapes on the pavement. I was not sure what would happen next, but I knew it was not over. The pieces of it twinkled in the light below, but I could still see the familiar shimmering of my kin from up here, shards of it being shattered and separated into smaller sections. I continued to look at it for another few moments, assessing what kind of fortune the car accident had afforded me. The shimmering pieces of my kin were indeed not dead, but slowly starting to congeal like a blood clot in a wound, but it had slowed it down significantly. It reminded me of a movie Emilio had watched once about robots hunting one another, one of them shattering and then having to put itself back together in a similar fashion. I knew now that I needed a new friend, a new ward. My new ward would keep me safe from my kin, and I would keep my ward safe from the harshness of the world in my own way. 
it sounded easy enough. Just find a child and become its friend. However, in my memory flood that I had just survived, I realized it was not that easy. I needed to find a child, yes, but I needed to find one who needed me in a very specific and powerful way. It is not enough for the child to be afraid and lonely, but the child needed to be afraid, lonely, and full of vast imagination that made them unique among other human beings. I got my wounded form off the parking structure quickly and began my search for such a child. Now that I knew what it was I was running from, the knowledge provided me no comfort at all, but in fact made me even more fearful than before. At least now, though, I could find a way out of the fear once again, if I hurried. Mates, I hope you're enjoying this roller coaster ride that is Tuku the Crocodile by Fee Stringer. I'm loving the naivety of Tuku, the idea that he's lived multiple lives, how he actually doesn't know how many lives he's lived and only his kindred were able to awaken those memories. I had a lovely long-time listener by the name of Star Eve 2099 make an interesting guess as to what Tuku was being chased by, and they wrote that it could have been the Boogeyman, a creature that goes bump in the night from ages back in humanity's folklore. I wonder if we do find out what on earth this creature is, and if Tuku can remain away from his own hellish dimension. Now folks, a huge thank you to my own IT titan, Maya, for springboarding this podcast into the stratosphere with their support, taking this show episode by episode to new levels. Today I've been tweaking and working on the equalizer to fine tune the audio using spectral noise filters, which are specialized noise removal filters working on white, brown and pink noise to extract my audio as cleanly as possible. You make it possible now to learn these techniques and access new tools when I otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity. It does lead to a slightly shorter episode than usual, but a more fine-tuned and audio-savvy one. Thank you so much, Maya, for supporting at such a high tier, mate. You really are wonderful. And my white tea warlords, I own cows, Lee Bauer and R. Mello. Thank you so much for supporting this show directly every month. You keep the key components of this podcast functioning daily. You're the circulatory system of this podcast, keeping the blood pumping every day, every week and every month. Thank all of you for your support. And of course, the blood of this podcast, my Ogre Enforcers, Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, and Tea Time Drinker One thank all of you for being amazing and choosing to support this show. If you want to be a legend like these guys and gals and send some dollar dues to the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt. Every single dollar do flies right back into the podcast to improve production. Simple as that. If you have a couple of seconds spare as well, leave an iTunes review to help this podcast reach more people like you. You know, amazing listeners. And lastly, this is more of a tip from me to you. If you're wondering what podcast tool people usually use to listen to this show and are unsure what to try out, I personally use Podcast Addict. I find it easy to use and easy to find podcasts quickly. Thought I'd mention it just in case any listeners out there are looking for an alternative to what they already use. 
Alright mates, thank you for listening. And this Friday is going to be the Futoshi Matsunaga case. Provided nothing happens to me, Torchwood. Goodness. And I look forward to seeing you then. As always, mates, till next we meet. Still hanging around? Well, here's one blooper that I had for today's episode. It involves kookaburras. <laughs> and then, an evil kookaburra came by, laughing his ass off and ruining this take. Thank you, evil kookaburra. You done? Alright, cool. <laughs>